Welcome to Stern Chats. I'm Lauren Marinero. And I'm Melanie Gonzalez. And today we're speaking with Maria Velasaris, Managing Director of Steel Sky Ventures and Stern 2009 alumni. We spoke to Maria about her path from entrepreneurship to managing her own VC fund. We learned about how she curated her career, building the skills needed to successfully create her empire, Steel Sky Ventures. Steel Sky Ventures invests in access, care, and outcomes for women's healthcare. We are so excited to talk to Maria about this, so let's get to it. From New York University Stern campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Hi, Maria. Welcome to Stern Chats. Lauren and I are so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So to kick things off, we just want to start maybe perhaps at the very beginning, learning about what you were like as a child and what it was like growing up for you. Sure. Well, as a child, I was a lot like I am now, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) precocious, uh, um, always pushing the boundaries and always building and starting new things. And so um, I actually grew up in Europe. And so I was, you know, grew up and born in Germany, grew up in Belgium and got a really international experience very early on, which really expanded my mind and and opened my mind to different cultures um, and how to do things. And I really don't remember living in the U.S. or moving to the U.S until I was 10 years old. So my upbringing was a little bit different here. And so um, I feel like I bring a lot of that European culture um, to where we are today. But over there, um, you know, I started my first business, which was um, a garage cleaning business. I would go around with my friends and clean people's garages for money. Uh, (laughs) Then we also started a babysitter's club uh, because I used to love to read those books, the babysitter's club's books. So I started one of those as well with my friends. And then you know, fast forward to college, I started another business. So, um, but that was really how it all got started. I just saw people being innovative and doing interesting things and building things. And I was inspired. Can you go a little bit more into that? What, um, who, who was your early inspiration uh, to kick off some of these projects? Well, one of my earliest inspiration was my grandmother. She was the first state delegate for Virginia, um, African-American delegate after uh, Reconstruction. So she was a pioneer herself, always breaking boundaries, um, always breaking barriers. Um, She worked with um, all of the hidden figures, women. She worked in the cafeteria, serving them at lunch. So I know a lot of stories um, of her, you know, being on the front lines with those women, really trying to push things and make change for African-Americans during that time. So she's always been an inspiration. She served as a state representative for 25 years. And so during that time, I got to be a page um, in the Senate with her. And then I was a U.S. congressional page as well. So she was really inspirational to me and, and always very mindful of encouraging me and pushing me to be a change maker like she was. That's amazing. So you have entrepreneurship and pioneering in your blood, if you will. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how that led you to, um, you know, college the first time around and really that first startup uh, after, uh, during your college career? 
Yes. When I was sitting in my dorm room one day, I was really thinking about a company to start, right? And this is before tech was big. This was really when the dot-com boom was just starting. And I was a computer science major. So I was really trying to think, I'm like, I want to be one of those people that starts these companies. So <laughs> um, I was sitting at my computer one day and my friend from Duke, which was 45 minutes down the road from Wake Forest, um, you know, he IM'd me <laughs> to put a date on him. <laughs> me. And he was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to think of a business. And he's like, that's really lame. But I know another guy who's trying to think of a business too. And do you want to come meet him? He's pretty smart. You might you might like him. You guys might want to do a business together. And so I said, sure. So the next morning I drove down 45 minutes. I met this guy. Um, I said, you know, what do, what do you got? And so he told me about this business he had thought about for online shipping and storage. And I said, okay, that's interesting. I'm a computer science major. I can probably help build a site. I can, I, I can, I can understand the market need for this being an out of state student myself, have a five foot tall, you know, hundred pounds trying to like lug all my stuff storage <laughs> and back. I would love to have somebody just come to my room, pick it up and then have it at my room in the fall. I'm like, I, I think this could be a, a really interesting idea. So we shook hands and you know, we were in business. We raised a million dollars in, in venture capital funding, and we started the businesses at our schools. And then the next year, we were really successful. The next year, we did seven schools. Next year, 49 schools. And then it became the largest college shipping and storage company in the nation and um, got acquired by U-Haul subsequently. And they still run it today, 20 years later. So that was my first foray into entrepreneurship. And, you know, while, you know, it was a great success, we also learned that I had a lot of gaps and that we both had a lot to learn. So, so after graduating, I went and really curated the next 15 years of my career, just picking up skills so that I could build another company and build an empire that I could be really proud of and that I could have ownership and really understand what I was doing and how to build the best business and how to be the best leader I could be. So after college, I took a job at a tech consultant at Booz Allen Hamilton. Um, I had some really amazing adventures there, going out to sea with the Navy, working with aerospace engineers on satellite projects. Um, then fast forward, went to NYU so I could learn some finance. So I got my MBA there at Stern and had the best time. Um, but yeah. there I said, you know, how do I become a great entrepreneur? And they said, you should go to a CPG company. You should go to a Kraft or General Mills or PNG. So I did a summer brand camp at PNG. And then I ultimately took position at Kraft where I was innovating in the mac and cheese brand. And I actually, fun fact, invented the extra large Easy Mac cup. So I think now they might call it different but so you can thank me for that <laughs> thank you um, and I was like, oh. <laughs> so that was um, you know an amazing experience where I got to understand how to take an idea and flesh it out and make the project lead a team market the brand, make the brand, market the product and sell it into Target and Walmart. And so that was really a really amazing experience to have. And so next I, I realized, you know, I'm making these really interesting products, but the only reason people are buying this mac and cheese and not the other mac and cheese is because of the brand. So I wanted to learn how to create strong brands. So next I went to a branding agency, um, Siegel and Gale, so I could learn how to do that. Worked on really awesome brands like American Express, SAP, and these were global brands. And so I started kind of getting a mix of how it was to work cross-culturally. And I said, you know what, why don't I just do it? So I went to work at an international marketing consulting firm. I worked in Samsung in South Korea, and then I worked at 
um, Philips in Amsterdam. And so going back and forth between those two cultures with these really strong global brands was just such an amazing experience. And it really taught me a lot about consumer needs and about consumer needs in different cultures and across different ethnicities, different socioeconomic mm-hmm. um, platforms as well. And so that was a really great um, experience. Then came back and started you know, another endeavor where I was um, outsourcing um, hair and makeup artists to retailers to wedding venues I saw that there was kind of a gap in the market and this was before the glam squads and all of that it was one of the very mm-hmm. at-home beauty companies and so um, I was working on that and while I was doing an event I met um, a doctor there who was looking to expand his dermatology practice and and grow and so I came on board as head of marketing and product development and I was able to use all of those skills I had learned along the way I re- helped rebrand the company I helped create a product line you know helped think about how to um, create culture within the company. And now he's skilled and is the largest dermatology clinic in the Northeast. So really excited about being able to use all those skills um, to build and, and help build that company. This whole time, right, you know, you were really strategic about picking up certain skills um, and continuing your career that way. But did you know what kind of empire it was that you were going to build? Or were you kind of still just like, I know this idea will come. And in the interim, these are the skills I need in order to get there and achieve that. Yes, I didn't know what it was going to be, but one thing I do know is how to find winners. And so I knew that that dermatology mm-hmm. roll-up was going to be a really interesting idea. So I bet on that and I put spent my time there building that. Um, I, I didn't know what was going to come next for me, but what ended up coming next was talking a little bit more to the VC backers that we had at that company, really understanding what they did. And I was really intrigued by it. And I wanted to learn how to invest. So I joined a group called Pipeline Angels and I started learning angel investing. And so for the last four years, I had been angel investing, helping companies grow. And I loved it. I I, you know, quit and I just did that full time. And and it was really inspiring to me because I was able to use all of the skills. I had been a grassroots entrepreneur. I'd worked at a VC-backed healthcare company and I worked at a billion dollar company. So I was really able to help navigate these companies through the life cycle of their business. And what I realized is that I wanted to do this full time. My little angel checks were only going to go so far. So I wanted to raise a bigger fund so that I could be on board, so that I could really help companies and have impact and write really meaningful checks. So just last mm-hmm. year, I launched the Steel Sky Ventures Empire Fund. And that's where I get to build my empire. That's fantastic, Maria. And actually, I want to circle back a little bit, because um, you've had just an incredible career. And it sounds, you know, it was very curated in that you gained all these skills to get to where you are today to build the empire that you were ultimately looking to build. But it almost sounds like with each role, you learned a little bit more about yourself and your strengths and a little more maybe about your gaps or things that you wanted to work on, which then led you to that next role. Is that, does that resonate? Is that, I just, I know there's so many journeys that are like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but maybe that would help them kind of navigate that path. It really does. Because I think when I went into some jobs with intentions, right, I said, I need to learn how to manage a P&L. I need to learn how to do product management. Check the box. I'm ready to go to the next company. Some company, you know, I just felt 
that I was going there to learn certain skills and check a box and leave, which is very different from our parents' um, way of approaching a career. You stay at a company, you move up there. But I just knew that really these companies weren't the place where I was going to build and spend my career. I knew I was a builder. I know I was an entrepreneur at heart. And so being at a company like that long term, I just knew it wasn't the right fit for me. So I really looked at what skills I needed to gain in each of these different um, opportunities that I had. And once I got them, then I was ready to go on to the next thing. I'm curious to know how the Stern MBA helped you um, through this career progression after you graduated. We hear a lot about kind of the Stern network. Can you talk maybe a little bit if you utilize that in any way? Yes. I am always reaching out to my Stern friends about, you know, when I'm making a move, almost everyone works at some company that I wanted to go to. So uh, there was always alumni that were willing to answer the phone, were willing to talk to you, whether it's switching careers, because I did that many times along the way, asking, you know, inside information, asking people, you know, the inside scoop at the companies that I was about to, am I picking the right team? Is this manager strong? Um, What should I expect from salary? How could I push back? You know, and so what has your experience been working there? So I think from a a career perspective, CERN has just been phenomenal because I know that I can literally reach out to anyone on LinkedIn and they'll always respond, no matter if they're in Russia, if they're in Brazil. I just recently connected with a VC in Brazil who saw what I was doing and he went to Stern and he's like, how can I help you? And I'm like, wow, you're reaching out all the way from Brazil to try to help me. And we've never even met, but that's the power of the CERN network. Would you say that's the... um the biggest thing you took away or are still using today from the Stern MBA, or would you also supplement it with anything else? Well, I think the network has been great. I also like to give back. So I had for the last for eight years done MBA interviews. And so that was always a really fun time. There was um, a diversity weekend where I was a part of the consortium and I got interviewed that weekend. And so I just remember how fun it was meeting the alumni. And that really was the clincher of why I ended up going to Stern. And so for me being able to go back and have a mini reunion with some of my friends, but then also be a part of selecting the next class of Stern was really important to me. And it's, it has been a really special experience and also helped keep me connected to the school. That's awesome. And that's also uh, great to know as Mel and I embark on our uh, a lot of MBA twos on on graduation, how to stay connected with Stern and and know that it continues to fulfill you just meeting new Sternies year after year. Um, So, you know, if we could also rewind a little bit. So there was there was starting and selling the company um, and then there was moving into business school and Kraft Heinz and, and all these different roles, uh, what would you say you felt was missing in your initial company that you gained in that skill set and now look for in founders uh, when you're when you're looking to invest in, in VC? One of the things I was missing because I was 19 years old, I had never <laughs> managed That's fair. So I probably wasn't the best manager at the time. So what I really looked at and each job I had was what were the qualities of a manager that I liked? What do, what kind of leader do I want to be when I grow up and when I run my next company? Because I want to create 
a great culture and that's really important and that's why people stay at companies it's not always what you do it's the culture it's the people and that's one of also the reasons that i chose stern because the the school was great but it was the culture and the people that got me there got into a lot of different business schools but that's what got me there and i think that's what makes people stay at companies especially now when people are more mission and values aligned they're looking for to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And so I wanted to make sure that I was able to create that. And in Steel Sky Ventures, I, you know, most VC funds probably don't have as much um, emphasis on their core values, but we have core values. We have a mission statement. Everybody has to kind of be aligned. And when we're hiring, it's, do you fulfill these missions? Do you match our core values? And if you don't, then, you know, no matter how smart you are, you're not going to be a fit for us because, you know, we're change makers. We're pushing boundaries. We're not only creating shareholder value, but we're also trying to move the needle and progress and be provocative and, you know, change the world for women. And so if you're not aligned with that, then, you know, it's probably not going to be a fit. And so that was one of the things that I really wanted to learn how to do. And I took away from each um, opportunity that I had in my career. Another gap that I just wanted to fill was I just didn't know anything, you know, as a teenager. Um, I got a great education in logistics um, <laughs> from running, a, you know, a shipping and storage company. But I also, you know, wanted to understand how to market, how to brand. I think I knew enough at the time about branding that I knew that I should put my shirts on the college basketball players because everybody knew them on campus. <laughs> and so they were kind of, uh, it was like a nod to what today is called influencer marketing. I knew they were influential. Mm-hmm. I knew if they used it and people saw them wearing my t-shirt that people would inquire about the business. And so that helped me generate a really great um, brand awareness and also people using the service because of that endorsement from those star players on the team. And so after this progression of different um, positions, you went to Pipeline Angels. That was kind of the last piece of the puzzle. And when did you know it was kind of ready? You were ready to to start your baby. <laughs> I knew that I, you know, I had started companies before. I had worked at a startup and now I was ready to help more startups, right? I wanted to have a greater impact and influence. And I thought this is a great way to do it. Invest in multiple companies, have a portfolio of companies that I can help because, you know, like I say, I like to work and then move on and move on. And, you know, I was grew up as a consultant. We had different projects all the time. Three months, we're off, we're out doing something else fun and new. And so that's what really was a good fit with my personality. Um, And the style that I like to work is that I like to work on a lot of different projects and having a fund and being able to invest in various companies that are all aligned with my interests and values and the impact and the change I want to make in the world was just really exciting to me. And so I think that's why I decided that I wanted to start my own because I looked out and I didn't really see any funds in the market that were run by people that I wanted, you know, to work with or that were focusing on the thesis of women's healthcare because it, you know, it has been overlooked. Women founders have been underfunded and they're two thirds of the founders in the space. And so that's when I decided, you know, I think this is where I can make my mark. This is where I can make an impact. There were very few solely dedicated women's healthcare funds. And so I saw this again as an opportunity to push boundaries and, and do something new. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more about Steel Sky Ventures. What's the main goal and overall thesis? The main goal of Steel Sky Ventures is that we are investing in companies that create better access, care, and outcomes in women's healthcare. So 
most of our fund our fund investments focus on companies that are in consumer health and digital health. And we're really excited about this thesis because we've been investing in this from our angel careers, we were really thinking, what is the future of healthcare look like? What is healthcare 2.0? So our thesis at that time was, let's think about things that keep people out of the hospital. So we invested in remote monitoring devices, telemedicine platforms, e-pharmacy, direct-to-consumer products. And then post-COVID, this really took off because what happened? People had to stay out of the hospital. So we understood that our thesis holds, even in a pandemic, we can still have companies that are thriving and really winning. And so that helped our portfolio really take off and, and get a lot of traction. Um, we're really excited at the end of last year, uh, we did our first close on 10 million and we um, have now invested in nine companies. And we're really excited about the breadth of the companies and how these companies can work together um, to progress women's health care. And um, so yeah, so would love to talk a little bit more about those if you're interested. Yes, would love to dive into that. But before we do, um, what initially, and you mentioned this previously, but what led you to women's health specifically? Being an angel investor, I was investing in all female-led companies. Within Angel Group, I realized that a lot of women had an appetite to invest for retail, beauty, or food, but people were steering clear of healthcare. And it's because healthcare is complicated. It's layered. You have to deal with insurance providers. You have to deal with, you know, just all the complexities of Medicaid, Medicare, and that's just a lot for people to deal with. But having worked at a VC-backed healthcare company, I was familiar with these types of companies. I understood what was feasible. I understood from my computer science background um, and working in a clinic and and managing, helping manage over 40 clinics, I understood what technology we could bring on. I understood what products we could sell and, and how to navigate the healthcare system. So I wasn't afraid of tackling and jumping into these types of companies. And I saw that um, not that many people were. And I realized that there weren't. Less than 20% of VCs had ever invested in women's healthcare. 4% of R&D dollars goes into women's healthcare. It's really abysmal. And so I thought, this is a really amazing opportunity. It's a white space. And there wasn't a lot of competition. What I, I was getting into these great deals alongside some really marquee investors at great valuations with amazing teams, really phenomenal women who are creating scalable products that could grow into billion-dollar companies. And for me, it was a no-brainer. People aren't looking at this space, so I want to find it first, and I want to win. I love that. And I love that it's coming both from a like investment perspective, it just makes sense. There's a gap and you're the right person to fill it, but also from an impact perspective and just recognizing this is something we need to push forward. Um, you know, it's three women on the call. <laughs> I can guarantee you <laughs> we'd all love to see that. That's the most exciting part of this is that I get to align my skills with my passions and where I really, you know, am passionate and my skills align. And I know that Oprah says, you know, if you find your purpose and your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. And so I really feel I was doing this for free before as an angel investor, I was doing this for free, spending my own money. Um, and then my husband's like, Hey, you might want to think about <laughs> monetize this situation. So that's why I started a fund, but this is something I would have done for free anyway. I just love working with people that are innovating and that are, you know, changing the world and making things better for women. You, we all know there's a lot to be done. So there's, you know, some really interesting innovation right now. They're in categories in women's healthcare. There's new categories that are being invented. We just invested in a 
period apparel company that sells period underwear, period swimsuits. Um, and that's a new category. And because we're early and we're in a nascent category, we have the ability to create new categories and to create category winners, right? So we partner with our downst- like our later stage healthcare VCs, and we can just decide what course we're backing in the race, and we can all back them to IPO or you know, or an exit. And so that's what's also very interesting in women's healthcare and especially where we sit, which is we are late seed series A. So we're investing about one to $2 million in companies. Um, and most of these companies have under a $20 million valuation. So we're really at the crux of, you know, them getting product market fit, product traction, and then, you know, helping them think about scaling. And that's really where we like to sit. So that's just been a really phenomenal opportunity for us um, is to be able to create new categories, but also innovate on old categories. So for instance, incontinence, menopause, like nothing's been done in menopause. There's going to be a billion women experiencing menopause in 2025. That's a lot of women, right? And so the CPG companies are like, hey, Maria, get us something for, to sell to these women so that we can make money. Like there's a lot of money being left on the table. They don't want to go down the aisle and just see diapers. Like women aren't open to that anymore. Women are demanding better products and tools and services that can really serve their unique needs. And so we're excited to try to find and fund these new innovative companies. Is there any subcategory specifically that really excites you that either you think is ready for more disruption or there's maybe a lot of startups in that space that are doing interesting things? We're really focused right now on maternal mortality. We think that's a huge opportunity. The rates um, for women in the U.S. are are terrible, among the worst of any developed country, and especially the rates for our underserved communities, Black women, you know, overall, our Black and Hispanic women are dying at three to four times the rate during childbirth. Um, but specifically, to make this, you know, a little bit closer to home, they're dying at seven times the rate in New Jersey and 10 times the rate of uh, non-women of color in New York City. So it is a national crisis and it's something that we want to solve. So we're really focusing on on companies that can help be care navigators and help women navigate while they're going through this process so that we can help um, mitigate these poor outcomes that we have. And so we've invested in a doula matching platform that does care navigation in underserved communities. Because what we found is that it's not that these women don't want to go to their prenatal appointments. It's because they don't have a car. It's because they don't have childcare. It's because they can't get off of work. So by being able to send people to the home or interact with them online, we're still able to make sure that they can get any kind of care that they need and any type of preventative measures before it escalates. And in, into a maternal mortality, you know, situation um, that can't be fixed. We also invested in a, the next adjacent category, which is OBGYNs to the home, because again, same thing. Once somebody misses their appointment, they have a higher outcome, um, a higher likelihood of uh, a poor outcome. So right when they miss their appointment, we deploy at home OBGYN. Um, or at home OBGYN practitioner to the home so that we can help these women um, navigate. And and that's when we're using all these remote monitoring devices and tools um, that we helped uh, fund during COVID to, to help keep these women monitored and so that we can make sure that they're receiving the type of care that they need to have a successful birth. 
Um, and then another category after that is after you give birth, there's a high incident of pelvic floor injuries. And so we've invested in the first uh, physical therapy platform for women and mothers specifically. It's called Origin. We're really excited. They just opened two new offices this week, two new locations this week. Um, in San Francisco and LA. And we're really excited about that company because it's both online and offline. And they really focus on things that women need. So pelvic floor therapy, um, when mo mothers you know, give birth and they need their abs diffused back together, there's, there's exercises that you can do in advance, during and after to help recover more quickly. And a lot of women don't know that. So we want to have one of these origin clinics like on every corner to be like a soul cycle. And so that women can just get their bodies back and feel better, um, you know, in their own skin. My mom's recommendation was to just squeeze into a really tight pair of jeans and then it would all squeeze back together. So I'm just grateful that these companies are starting to exist. <laughs> They're better than that method. Um, thank you so much, Maria, for being able to describe, a, you know, a little bit more of like the biggest challenges in women's healthcare right now, things that I, you know, um, didn't know. I, I was thinking more of along the lines of like AI as it relates to hormonal and mental health, and which I'm sure is probably something you guys are talking about too, but even the simple things or the things that we think are simple, like uh, mostly because they've existed since the beginning of time, like childbirth are still um, at an impasse and, and require some of that support. Um, so with that, I mean, there's the technologies that are particularly interesting to you and the, the companies themselves, mm -hmm. but what do you look for in specifically for women's healthcare startups in the founders and in the companies themselves before investing? What is your DD like? Well, our, the founders, first of all, we have to like the founders. <laughs> They're going to be in a long-term relationship with these people. So we have to make sure we really like them and that we really want to be talking to them for the next 10 years every week. <laughs> so that's number one. And we want to make sure that they're mission aligned and that we're all focused on the same goal um, that we because healthcare, there could be a lot of ethical situations that you run into when you're running a healthcare company, and we all have to be aligned, and we make sure we're aligned with everybody else on the cap table as well, so that we all understand the direction of the company, what the company should exit to, um, so that we all are working in the same direction. But for founders, I think it's really important for a founder, first of all, to be super passionate, enthusiastic, resourceful, and have, you know, grit and resilience, because this is going to be a long process. I've been a founder myself. It's not all smooth sailing. It's not, you know, there's highs and lows a lot, and it can switch from hour to hour. <laughs> Even as a fund manager, it switches from hour to hour. You get denied, <laughs> you get $10 million, you know, so it's all over the place. But um, I think that just being able to trust somebody, that they're going to be transparent with you so that you can help them through the process is really important. And that's why we spend time getting to know founders, making sure that we feel comfortable with the level of transparency that we're going to have with their financials, with um, their leadership style, with how they're hiring, with the culture that they're trying to build within their company, the types of audiences that they're targeting. That's really important to us too. We like to make sure that our companies are focused on serving the entire market, not just, you know, rich people that can cash pay, but there's a huge Medicaid market that's really underserved and it's twice as big as the commercial payer market. There's a lot of financial opportunity in that space. So we invested in a, in a company that as a women's 
healthcare platform for contraception. And, you know, there's a lot of those, right? But this company specifically is the only one that targets the Medicaid population. And so that's why we think they're filling a really interesting niche because it's really hard. There's a lot of legal and regulatory. They have to go state by state to get a physical pharmacy, um, Medicaid doctors, and they did the hard work. And so by the end of this year, they'll be um, able to service over 97% of the population. Um, but they've done the hard work. And those are the type of founders that we're looking for. They're not just solving problems in healthcare, they're solving problems in healthcare that support communities that are underserved and that have been challenged and not helped. And I think healthcare equity is something that we think a lot about. Gender parity, gender equity, healthcare equity is really important to us. And so every company that we invest in has a layer of that built in. They're always thinking, okay, what's my Medicare strategy? We know she's going to ask us, how are we making sure that we're going to be reimbursed by insurance companies. So right off the bat, when the companies roll onto our platform, they have meetings with Blue Cross Blue Shield, with United Healthcare, because we start talking right away about how to get reimbursement. Quick follow-up on that too, because I, you know, with the healthcare space itself, it's really easy to, to almost get um, out of, I don't want to say out of scope. Um, it's just a really big problem. So you're, a lot of what you're talking about too um, could be uh, due to implications related to social determinants of health or, um, mm-hmm you know, like food deserts or, or certain things like that. How do you stay within the scope of, of women's health um, without, you know, and I think this is really important probably too for your founders and for your startups, help them stay focused so that you guys ensure that you're driving the impact you're looking to drive in the women's health space. As long as they access care outcomes, those three. Strong pillars. And so yeah, those are it. It's access. Are you creating better access? Is it more convenient for women to get to? Um, you know, is it coming to their door? We invested in a company that <laughs> seems a little bit out of scope called Zipline. They are a prescription drone delivery service, but what are we doing mm. next month? We are going to drop um, this period underwear into remote villages in Ghana where the women can't go to school because they have periods and they don't have menstrual products. And so they're going to be able to use these reusable period underwear and now go to school and not have to drop out. So like that's creating access and it's helping women. And so we're so excited about the, the partnership of our two portfolio companies to work together to really push the needle and I mean create economic development and welfare in and rural Africa. And so those are the types of things that we think are really interesting. And and that's why some things may seem out of bounds, but for us, we see it as a larger holistic picture of, you know, and, and now Zipline is coming to the US and they're working with Walmart to deliver prescription medicines to, you know, different rural communities in Arkansas. And hopefully we'll be able to have provide better access, you know, to everyone. We want to make um, at home care easier for people as well. Because like I said, social determinants of health, not everybody has transportation, not everybody can leave work at 5pm. Um, and not everybody has health insurance. So that's another access um, to care and also creating better outcomes. So those are the three pillars that we look at. And if we feel like companies are really moving the needle in that space, we are open to investment. That's great. And can you talk a little bit, you know, you were talking kind of about how two of those companies um, in your portfolio were, were partnering. Can you talk more about how you support the companies in your portfolio? We spend a lot of time working with the companies on gaps that they have. So immediately, right when they roll onto our platform, we um, 
you know, get, you know, I put my consulting hat on and I, assess <laughs> I see where their gaps are. So if they have like financial gaps, we bring in a, a, what we call a street sister from wall street. They work with them on the financials. If they have marketing needs, we can bring in somebody from Google, somebody from, you know, a, a, a traditional marketing firm, whatever they need. And so that's what we do. We really provide resources. We have a database of over 150 um, professionals that have volunteered to work with our companies. Um, so that's been really exciting. Uh, for them. And then we also have our intern program. So there's a lot of uh, colleges that want to work with uh, Women's Health Fund. And so what we do is we ask quarterly our portfolio companies, what projects do they have, things that are, you know, analytics that they just don't have time to do. And what we do is we give them out to the different schools so that they can work on these projects and then make a presentation to the portfolio companies. Um, so that's how we support the portfolio companies as well as you know, we're, we have a lot of board observer seats. So we're very active in how we work with them, how we connect them, you know, depending on their needs, right? So it's not going to be the same blueprint for every company. Some companies will need help with recruiting and hiring. Other companies may need help with connections to customers. Some will need help with um, navigating how to get insurance reimbursements um, and, or the FDA approval process. And so it really depends on what they need. We have a very strong network and we're able to help them meet those needs. And uh, uh, one last question on your portfolio um, and well, your investment experience overall. Um, do you have a favorite mem memory, either like a story or experience from, uh, and it could be either from your, your seed um, investment or angel investment lifetime or, or your current VC stage um, that you'd like to share? I would share about my first investment was in, a company that I thought was really going to be able to move the needle. They were an ancestry company, and then they had announced a partnership with GlaxoSmithKline where they were going to be able to use the first ethnically diverse and gender diverse data set to create new drug treatments and therapies. And so that was my first investment, and that was 23andMe. And so I'm really excited right now <sighs> that they um, announced their IPO, and so we'll have an IPO uh, in our portfolio. That is so exciting. That's a big one. Yeah, it's really <laughs> That was my first, and that was, you know, really exciting for me because I wasn't interested in the ancestry part at all, even though I did. I, I thought it was interesting, but where I really thought it was going was, you know, we all know that the clinical trials have not included women or, you know, diverse people. And most clinical trials are conducted on white men of average size and the doses is not optimized for women at all. And like of the 10 prescription drugs taken off the market by the FDA between 1997 and 2000, eight of them were because of the health risks posed to women. And even with the J&J &J COVID vaccine, why did they take it off the market? Who had the bad outcomes? It was women because these clinical trials do not include us. And so the fact that they're able to include a diverse gender set, I think is groundbreaking and it can create better outcomes and treatments for women and children and people of color. So I'm really excited about that. That's fantastic. And again, both huge investment on the impact side, as well as on the, the financial side. So congratulations on that one. That's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. We do have some prospective students as well as current students listening. And so I'm sure they would love to hear your advice on what someone that is trying to break into VC uh, kind of should do and how they should kind of go about that. 
Well, I'm definitely not traditional. Um, <laughs> in the VC. And it also depends on who you are. If you're a woman or a person of color, you're going to struggle a lot harder than, than your counterparts, right? So um, that, that you'll have to know. Uh, there's barely, there's, I think, 0.02 black women venture fund managers. So, uh, and that's because it's been a very exclusive club. So if you are in a certain population, you'll be able to go to the Sequoias and the Excels and, you know, feel comfortable. But if you're not, you might be working at a micro fund or, or a fund that's, you know, built around diversity or maybe start at an accelerator um, or an angel fund. But a lot of um, these people who have been excluded, like myself, from these networks, we've created our own funds. And so they're very open and inclusive. And we encourage a lot of internship opportunities. We have part-time analyst opportunities because it feels like to be in VC, you have to be a VC. And so we let people work with us part-time so that they can learn and get all the skills on their resume so that they can go and secure these jobs at more established VC funds. And our first um, intern analyst went on to Red Cedar Ventures. Our second one now works at SoftBank Opportunity Fund, which is amazing. So we're really excited to be able to give people these experiences so that they can get jobs at those more established VC funds. And so we have a program for you know women and women of color to help put more of them into the venture ecosystem because I think less than 7% of women overall are VCs. So there's a it's very challenging to break into also because the partnerships are small. Unless you're going to a large organization, a lot of times it's two GPs and an analyst or or, or one or two GPs and like two analysts. So it's a really small networks. And so it's kind of hard to break into. So my suggestion would be is to try to get some kind of an internship or analyst position, even part time. And I think a lot of smaller funds are open to that as well, just because of budgetary concerns. That's awesome. So you guys are not only just kind of making impact, of course, in the women's healthcare space, um, but also internally in the VC ecosystem. So that's great. Um, so before we wrap things up, we just kind of want to popcorn a few fun questions. Um, let's start with what's your favorite memory from Stern? My favorite memory is the Japan trip that we went on for spring break. It was Phenomenal. I went with 200 of my closest Stern friends. <laughs> and we had an amazing, amazing time with from the food to the culture to the dancing, um, you know, to the nightlife to even just being on the plane and just learning more, being on a long bus trip um, next to somebody I'd never talked to before and then getting to know them really well. It, it was just a really great bonding experience and a memory I'll never forget. You're speaking to our nostalgia because of COVID, a, a lot of our trips were canceled, but <laughs> there's hope for a post-graduation trip. So it's good to know that um, <laughs> it was incredibly worthwhile and, and your favorite memory. So last question, how do you stay involved with Stern post-grad? Well, post-grad, as I mentioned before, I love doing the interviews, uh, mentoring students, and then also working with the administration on how to make things better for Stern. Um, and there's a new cohort that they're putting together that will be future trustees of the university. And I'm so excited that I was selected by the president to be on that committee. And so we're really learning how the governance runs of the school and are paired with a mentor who's a current trustee so that we can learn the ropes um, for when it's our time to excel into those positions. 
Wow, that's fantastic. And it's also so great to hear, um, you know, again, as I mentioned, you know, Melanie and I and a 300 other MBA twos are, are getting ready to graduate. Um, and it's a little bittersweet. And so just knowing that there's these options to stay involved with Stern is really inspiring. So thank you, Maria. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on and for being so inspirational yourselves. And by inspiring others by what you're doing, what you're building and communicating and communicating the value and the beauty of being a Stern grad. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Maria.